The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Perhaps this is something that some of you may be sharing about, but can I see a show of hands of how many people made it onto the field of Husky Stadium this Saturday? Perhaps that was, for some of you, your greatest uh, sports moment. It was definitely in the top five for me. I, got to, I, I feel like I need to show you some, some uh, already fond memories I have of what happened this weekend. Because I did also get to go down on the field. So that was us from the seats. That's right. My one-year-old son was with us. That's Carson. You see the scoreboard in the background. And the funny thing about this is that from our seats, and my wife and I sit right across from the band. So to go down onto the field, you have to, you pretty much had to walk right through the USC bench. Well, when I put, when I put Carson on my shoulders, his, you know, his default is he kind of puts his arms out like this, and then he just kind of points a lot. So as we were walking by, like, the USC coaches and medical staff, it was like Carson was going, scoreboard, baby, yeah. You know, so, so we had a great time uh, down on the field and, and uh, getting to celebrate with the dogs. And, and so what a great, great way to end what really is officially the last week of summer. It certainly feels like that uh, for me. And as we, yeah, there we are. We were, we were fired up. See, see, Carson is still looking over at the USC coaches going, you want some of this? That's right. That's right. How you like me now? You know, and then earlier, earlier we were over in the zone and I was trying to teach him, hey, cover up that ball. Let's go. But, uh, he was a little bit slow to get down on it. And there's, uh, there's this celebration continues. Like I say, Carson, uh, at that point is checking out the mob in the middle of the field. And, uh, you know, probably laughing at, at Mike and I as we wept together uh, for, for years of suffering that are finally, uh, have finally concluded. What a great weekend. <laughs> Certainly the dogs, for those of you that are UW students, we also welcome those of you from SPU and SU and other schools around the region. Uh, it's, we're stoked, but we hope that you are also stoked about the dogs. There is certainly a lot to be excited about as we uh, come into the fall. And next week in particular, I want to invite you back because next week we're going to blow the walls out of this place. We're going to turn up the volume. We're going to turn up the energy and get started with what we're going to do this fall. And it's something that I'm really excited about. What we're going to do is really look at how doubt and faith uh, go together and how it really, in order to grow in faith, there's, there's a necessity to confront your doubts. So whether you or, or a friend that you have might be exploring faith in Jesus for the first time or whether you are seeking to grow in your commitment uh, to Jesus, I think that this is uh, what we're going to do this fall in this series is going to land on target. So come back next week ready to roll for the next uh, 11 and uh, we'll have some fun together. Uh, lots of great opportunities for you to invest in uh, here at the Inn. And I can honestly say I've never been more excited for a quarter or for a preaching series in my uh, nine years here. So this is going to be uh, a lot of fun, and I, and I hope you uh, join us. But it, we, have, we have tonight, 
what we're calling the end of the summer. And so we're going to wrap it up with our final look at the final chapter of uh, 2 Timothy. And as we've been talking about, this is a, uh, a mentor giving some encouragement to an apprentice to basically say, keep going even when the situation and the odds are stacked against you. It's a great text to get us fired up and to get us primed for the year and the situations that might be ahead of you. He's basically saying, do that thing you do, kid, and keep your eyes on Jesus as you do it. And so we're going to look at that as we come to our scripture tonight. You may not need to, but I need to pray before we get started. So I ask you to join me in that prayer. Lord, in this calm uh, before the storm, uh, that is the beginning of the academic year, I pray uh, that we would know your presence here, uh, that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Be our teacher uh, as we seek to, uh, to learn more about who you are and what you're up to in our lives and in the neighborhoods that we, that we live in. Uh, have your way in us as we have gathered tonight, Lord. Let it not be in vain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so last week, for those of you uh, that were here, and there's a lot of new people back this week, Janie uh, talked about uh, chapter 3 and this letter from, a, from the mento to a manatee, as we saw from that great clip from 30 Rock, that makes a big deal about relationships, period. And Paul, in some subtle ways and some not-so-subtle ways, throughout this whole book, this whole letter, is saying, it's about relationships, stupid. But the reality is that Paul loves Timothy and has invested in him and the task that they have been at together very deeply over about the past decade or so that they have been together. That task has been sharing the gospel throughout the whole uh, Roman world. So what we get to hear tonight are actually some of the last words that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. Certainly they're the last words that were ever recorded that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, and so this is a speech that is, is at the end of one guy's life that is intended to inspire. Uh, this is, you know, kind of the, the, the last chapter of the last letter that Paul wrote. Uh, before uh, he died a martyr's death. And so to give you an idea of what type of inspiration and kind of what I believe the spirit of this speech uh, was all about, I want to give you uh, it, a taste of, of what this, these words, uh, as Paul was thinking them and had he might have said them, what they might have been like. So join me in taking a look at uh, this clip uh, from the movie Miracle. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. Not this game. Not tonight. 
Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. The problem with great clips like that when you are using them to help you understand biblical passages is that for a while now, every time I read Paul, I'll think of Kurt Russell with a northern accent. You know, or... The, the, the context of, of what we just saw is the speech that uh, Herb Brooks, played by Kurt Russell, is giving before this hockey team. The U.S. hockey team in the Olympics in 1980 went out and beat the best hockey team in the world. And to get to that point, they had to do a lot. They had spent a lot of time together. So this is kind of the final hurrah. This is the end of the line. And so there are some parallels as to what that 1980 hockey team were, were up to. And, and their coach, Herb Brooks, and what Paul is trying to get after with Timothy. And so, as we come into this text tonight, the call is, once again, this reminder to be different. Things are this way. The culture is this way. The Soviets has, have dominated. But as for you, that's the magic phrase that we've been looking at throughout this series. The four different times in this letter that Paul says, but as for you. There's something that is to be different. The call for you is a little bit different. And so one more time, in the same way that the hockey team had one more time to listen to a speech, we have one more in before things get started. And the only other speech I would have liked to show is whatever Sark said in the locker room before the dogs took the field uh, this Saturday. So let's hear this final word of encouragement from Paul. I'm going to break it up in, in a couple of places uh, and talk about this. So we're going to go through this uh, a couple of verses at a time. Okay, so 2 Timothy 4, beginning at the first verse, it says this, that in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Let's stop there for a second. At a really basic level, what Paul is encouraging Timothy is to show them who you are. But remember who God is and remember what the situation is. Timothy is being encouraged to preach the gospel, to talk about the gospel, and to do it with a sense of urgency. 
And as Paul is encouraging his protege in this endeavor to uh, correct and to preach, uh, to uh, encourage and rebuke, um, he says there are only two seasons that you have to do this. There's only two situations that you have to do that. Only two times. And that's when you feel like it and when you don't. In season and out of season. You are to preach the word when you feel like it and when you don't. You know what I'm talking about, right? In academic endeavors, if you are to be faithful to that task, you need to study when you feel like it and when you don't. In athletic endeavors, you need to go and and practice and practice and practice when you feel like it and when you don't. I know that that in my own spiritual life, uh, there is there is something that that can be a little bit tough to get to get motivated. But my call here is to study and preach the word when I feel like it and when I don't. Romance is only romance when two people are committed when they feel like it and when they don't. There are only two circumstances that one following Christ needs to proclaim the gospel and that's when you feel like it and when you don't. Now let's keep a big view of what preaching is all about here. Many of you are familiar with the great quote from uh, a saint uh, called Francis when he, when he said, preach the gospel always, use words if necessary. Don't confine how you understand preaching or proclaiming the gospel to be what I'm doing up here. In fact, I would say that the best preaching is not done with some dude walking around talking in front of a bunch of people, but rather when it is lived out in action. Preach the gospel in season and out of season, when you feel like it and when you don't. Now, I love, I love to exercise, but I hate getting started, especially if getting started is early in the morning. That's why I tend to have to put things on my calendar that require great training. Uh, so for me, what that has looked like is over the past five years, it, it is it is put it has meant putting on a bevy of marathons and one Ironman, a couple of half Ironmans, and and for some people it might be going, man, church, dude, isn't that a little over the top? You know, like how about a 5K or something like that? But for me, I needed to set the bar in a place that I could not fake it, something that was going to to put me in a place where where I needed to get out there when I felt like it. And when I didn't, I have similar struggles in my spiritual life, as I've, as I've already confessed. There are times when I just don't feel like studying, but God's grace, if perhaps burden on me, is that I have to get up here and do things like that. And it keeps me in this place of coming back to Him, to Scripture, when I feel like it and when I don't. The encouragement that comes out of Paul and Timothy's relationship is one that says, live out what you believe today. Show what you believe today. Talk about what you believe today. Demonstrate your hope today. 
And he warns against waiting for all the conditions to be right before you start. Now, there might not be anybody in this room that needs to be reminded of this more than this guy right here. In fact, my undergraduate experience is really marked by incredible creativity in finding new ways to procrastinate. (laughs) To get all the conditions right before I sat down and really got into some good studying. And, and I, I don't know if you guys have to use the same creativity, but let me tell you, let me walk you through some of the things that, that I had to do, uh, to really make the conditions right. First, a status symbol when I was in school was the, was the size and breadth of your, uh, CD collection. For those of you that don't know, CDs are compact discs. <laughs> and they replaced tapes. And so, you know, when I was in school, it was, everybody had a bunch of CDs because it was like, hey, yeah, I got that CD. Whatever, no big deal. Okay, now I know y'all just download them. So I would organize my CD collection. Then once I was done with my CD collection, I could go on and do my laundry. And then, not just do my laundry, but meticulously fold it. Like, opening my, my uh, you know, like dresser drawers or whatever was basically like going to the Gap. You'd be like, wow, somebody came here and folded all this. Well, that was, you know, I learned how to fold as a method of procrastination. <laughs> It was, and, and it was a good one. So then once all the laundry was folded, I had to rearrange the furniture in my room, which I usually did, you know, modify that chair here, maybe put that, that table there, you know, uh, uh, get some angles in there, beef up the feng shui a little bit. So then once, once all that was done, I could finally sit down and get some good studying done or go to bed. And the nice thing about that was I, I named my, my bed the word. And so, you know, people would be hanging around, hanging around or whatever, and I'd be like, you know, I'd announce to everybody, be like, hey, uh, everybody, I'm going to go spend some quality time in the Word. You know, and then, and then girls would be like, oh my gosh, he's so spiritual, you know, kind of priming things for the pickup line that would follow later. Just kidding. But, th- you know, <laughs> actually it really works. Give it a try. So, now, see, the, here's the thing. That was 1994. And, and the, the internet really didn't exist as we know it today. Believe it or not, when, when Janie and I started college, you know, you clicked on to this thing called Mosaic or Netscape and you're like, what is this? Of course, we know that, that perhaps you don't have to have the same creativity because you have what Janie likes to call the worldwide waste of time. And in fact, I think that, that there should be some websites that are www.t dot sporkle.com or whatever it is that you use to to waste time. I think we should patent that and then go and make ourselves uh, some money. The message is this. Don't wait for the conditions to be right. They're never going to make themselves right. When you want to and when you don't. There is a sense of urgency to proclaim the gospel. In the text that we read, uh, the, the TNIV translates it, prepare. It is better understand, preach with urgency, in season and out of season. Have a sense of urgency, no matter what the season, with action primarily and with words also to preach the gospel. And remember... That it is the gospel that we're talking about. This is good news, people. 
This is great news. It is a matter of life and death, but the Christian brings a message of life and life to the full in relationship with God when you feel like it and when you don't. We continue with our text uh, starting in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Here's our magic phrase. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, Paul acknowledges here, after he's given this, this whether you feel like it or whether you, whether you don't, he's recognizing that there is a lot in the culture that's going to pull at you and, and provide plenty of distraction. He calls this disease itching ears. Doesn't that sound irritating? I mean, itchy, itchy ears. There's times when... If you've ever had an ear itch, I try to, to ha- when I have that inner ear itch, I try to scratch it with my tongue, you know, where you're just kind of like, oh, how do I get to that? I love that, that the image here is something that is just totally irritating. This disease that we call itching ears. And what it was, was that they were living in a culture of salesmen. Does that sound familiar? It was an intensely, idealistically trendy culture. Familiar? The disease is, I'm just going to go find somebody that's going to tell me what I want to hear. It was a disease of, I need to have it, and I need to have it now. That which will fix my life, which will make me better. Sound familiar? Whether it was material or in ideas, the quest was to make my life better. Instead of suffering, prosperity was promised. Instead of faith, certainty was promised. All these things were trendy, but not true. Trendy, but not true. Then we hear our phrase, but you keep your head in all situations. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy, avoid the trends. Stick to the job that has been set out before you. Do what you have been called to do and keep your head. Endure that suffering. Talk of the good news and do what you are gifted to do. Now, when it comes to trends, I would, I would consider myself moderately trendy. For example, I don't have a MySpace and I don't Twitter, but I do have Facebook and I invite you to be my friend. If we've never met or we've met tonight, on the invitation, put something like, hey, Ryan, saw you at the inn. That'll help me out, and I will accept you as my friend. <laughs> Although, uh, I, okay, of course, I also have a cell phone, though I don't have an iPhone. I have a trio. Um, I have an iPod, but it's a Nano. Um, the only Nike stuff that I have is, is UW stuff. Otherwise, don't, you know, try to keep the swoosh at bay because it's supporting Oregon, and I refuse to do that. And, and I, 
you know, I, I, I bang. I don't Google. Not that that's a big deal. So, all that to say, I'm still somewhat, you know, hip, down, with it, trendy. Did you guys catch the Dr. Evil reference there? So I'm semi-middle-aged. The call here is not to let trends win. It's to engage them, to challenge the value of the trend, to transcend the trendiness, to transcend that which does not go out of style in part because it was never in style. Keeping one's head in a culture that constantly creates this sense of anxiety of, in order to be this, you have to have this. In order to be significant, you need to to possess this. Transcend trendiness. By focusing on something that was never in style. Paul knows that all these trends and these images are going to be compelling to Timothy as they are to us. And Timothy's anxiety is that is one that we can identify with. He's going, how can I compete with this? How can I compete with all of these things that promise these, these great things that come so quickly and seemingly without any effort? And they are so easily seen. How do I compete with that? Because this gospel doesn't make me look any better. It doesn't make me, it doesn't make me more popular and it doesn't make me more powerful. How can I compete? The gospel does invite us to something much bigger than the trends, but those trends are so much easier to grasp and understand. The life that is found in this thing that we call salvation goes far beyond those trends, so much so that in order to be, even begin to grasp it, we have to slow down and look and listen. And we have to look and listen a little bit harder than we would if we were just going to snap up the trend. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Slowing down to look and listen, to remember Jesus. Verse 1 of what we read. Remember Jesus. Slow down and be steady, not trendy. And that is what wins the race. Now Paul's aware that this request and what the task at hand is brutal. It's not going to be easy. Anyone who, who has ever walked in New York City's Times Square has a bit of an idea of what I'm talking about here. And this has been an experience that I've had several times over the past handful of years when on our way back from our, our spring break trip to the Dominican Republic, we have sometimes had occasion to have a layover in New York City. And though we have been out serving uh, alongside children of the nations in these in these bates with kids that are living in conditions that are easily identified as extreme poverty. There's something about walking through Times Square that just compels you to buy into everything that those bright lights and tall buildings are all about. There's something that you go that, that you see in that that you go, I want to be a part of this. And Paul knows. 
that that type of thing is exactly what he is up against. Even after I've been in Barona with a bunch of kids that, that have very little for a full week, some bright lights and some tall buildings, and I'm so tempted to go right back. It's compelling. That's why Paul points Timothy to just a few key reminders. First, he's already called the culture's bluff in these itching years. You know better, Timothy. Remember that there's something more. Second, it's something more that he already knows, and that is a relationship with the man writing the letter. Remember who I am, Paul, or Timothy. Remember who... Remember our relationship. Remember what you've learned from me. Things that we've already heard in these previous chapters. And of course he says, remember Jesus Christ. So he finishes it this way here. In verse 6 he begins, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished this race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Great hope. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I'm being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. The end of his speech Poured out like a drink offering. I, I picture Kurt Russell in the locker room pouring one out for his homies. Because the, the balance of chapter 4 is this, this, is this shout out uh, that, that begins at verse 9 and continues through the rest of the chapter. We're not going to look at that. We're simply going to look at what Paul, what Paul is calling Timothy to remember. And that is that there is hope. And it is a big, glorious hope. One that has compelled me to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. The marathon is one that I've run because there is something spectacular that I hope for at the end of it. And Paul calls it a crown of righteousness. Timothy, remember this hope. Remember this hope because that hope, and friends, put this to the test. The hope will transcend the trends. The hope is worth preaching about whether you feel like it or not. It is a hope that endures. And Paul is calling Timothy, remember this hope. And he's doing so even as he knows that he is going to die. This is not some miracle drug that is going to keep Paul alive and keep him engaged with this task of preaching the good news forever. No, the baton's going to you, Timothy. But how encouraging and phenomenal is it for Timothy to hear these words of somebody who has fought the good fight and is dying well? Friends, there might not be anything more encouraging and edifying to one's faith than watching somebody who is living life and dying well. 
It's one of the, one of the most compelling reasons that we need to, to put ourselves in a, in a community where we have the opportunity to journey alongside people that are in our lives like the Apostle Paul that have gone before us and are finishing the race and that are going to teach us how to die well. Why? By keeping the hope. By keeping their eyes on that hope, on that crown of righteousness. And when we do that, we will keep our head in all situations. Endure suffering. He's redirecting Timothy away from the trends to that which transcends the trendiness and saying, that hope is what I'm asking you to talk about when you feel like it and when you don't. And what that frees you up from is having to find the latest, coolest, trendiest thing to sell, which changes regularly. I'm asking you to do one thing when you feel like it and when you don't. Paul's final encouragement to Timothy and perhaps even the final words he wrote in his life were to transcend the trends and preach the gospel now in word and action whether you feel like it or not. So as you start this year individually and as we come back into community with each other, what are the trendy images that you need to trade for the transcendent? Where in this season has God placed you to preach the word? With words and more importantly, action. God is faithful and his steadfast love endures forever. It's not trendy. In the ugliness, in the absolute non-trendiness of the cross, Jesus Christ has shown Paul, Timothy, in each of us the depth of the truth that there is nothing, no trend in all of creation that can separate us from the real love of Jesus Christ. Let us preach in word and action the assurance of this love that God is faithful and he will do it. Let's do that together this year. Let's pray together. Lord, would you give us a vision for transcending the trends and for preaching the gospel in word and action, in season and out of season. Lord, I ask for an extra measure of grace and encouragement, particularly in those moments when we don't feel like it. When we don't feel like encouraging others, when we don't feel like coming to the inn. Lord, I pray that you would move us, that you would get our attention. I pray that you would do the same in our peers. Soften our hearts and open our minds that we might be transformed. Uh, So, Lord, have your way in us and in this community in the year that lies before us. Lord, we are hopeful and we are grateful that uh, your cross, ugly and disfigured as it may be, uh, transcends all of it. 
for that we rejoice in Christ's name. Amen.